Welcome, everybody, and thank you for listening and subscribing to Behind the Screen. Uh, I am your host, JT Kane, and I am here with my very good friend, Matt Corey, and uh, we're here to talk about auditions, specifically orchestral auditions, which is why we named this Behind the Screen, because they take place behind the screen. We're very clever. It's one of the things I think that's the, the best about this show is just the name. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I love I love how I made you like speechless. Well, look, we just want to thank everybody for listening, and we hope that our discussions and uh, and our guests that are on the show will be a resource and an inspiration to anyone taking auditions or um, just really interested in the audition process or our fabulous guests because I'm interested in them. So I'm assuming that if you're listening, you are as well. I agree with you, JT. And uh, just a reminder, this podcast is brought to you by Insight for the Blind, a very special recording studio based in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where over 100 volunteers produce talking books and magazines for the blind and physically handicapped so that all may read. See for yourself at insightfortheblind.org. Yes, do so. Do go, go to insightfortheblind.org and check it out because it's a great organization, which Matt runs. So... I think there's a picture of me, too, on there where I'm, like, a good solid 25 pounds lighter. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Keep that. Pre-COVID. Pre-COVID. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, again, I want to uh, thank our guests for being on here. Uh, we're very excited to welcome to Behind the Screen the principal clarinetist of the Philadelphia Orchestra, Ricardo Morales. Ricardo, welcome to the show. I feel like we should have an thank applause. We should, we should clap. <laughs> because that's the wrong one. I think I have it. Hang on. Yeah. <laughs> oh God! Wow. No, no applause. Okay. Well, <laughs> that was spectacular. <laughs> oh, Ricardo, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to be here with us. Oh, it's my pleasure. My pleasure. Yeah, man. Listen, this it's this is really exciting for uh, for me. Uh, I've known you. We, I've. I've brought you down to, to New World Symphony to coach our fellows for years now, you and your wife, Amy. And, uh, and Matt, is, as a bassoonist, is, uh, is really excited to talk to you. So this is very special for both of us. Amen. Yeah. I hope that I can be helpful. You know, <laughs> and if not helpful, entertaining a little Indeed. bit. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> for sure. Let's get right into it, because as, as a podcast that talks about auditions, let's talk about uh, some auditions. So... I know that you won your job at uh, with Philadelphia Orchestra back in 2003, and prior to that, you were principal clarinetist with the Metropolitan Opera Orchestra. When I was putting this together, I was kind of curious, what differences were there between those two orchestras and, and their, their auditions? So let's start with like the Met. How was the Met audition for you? Well, for, uh, for me, I believe the Met audition is the most helpful, uh, especially for uh people having a uh, an opportunity uh that is more what i call a free for all in the okay. sense because this particular audition while i understand that nothing is ever perfect and there's always little adjustments that we could always hope for um the the metal orchestra has their auditions entirely behind the screen right. for every round uh even the final round and nobody knows they just have to actually trust their ears and vote according to that and they mm. usually um uh, i don't know uh if they still do that now but uh, you used to just get a new number in each round and then yeah. that's it so uh later they started the uh, 
just com um, compiling the numbers so that then you could just look back at your notes uh, uh, and see how the candidates' progression uh, went through the rounds. Mm -hmm. But uh, for a long time, it was just all fresh each round. So each round you had a, a clean slate. So that for me was a, uh, a very, very... Uh, helpful thing and that's i would say that that is one of the reasons why the Amer orchestra well, it has a very eclectic group of, of players yeah and uh you know for the longest time was of the major orchestras in the united states it had the highest percentage of women uh professional and of minorities more asians and latinos you have four puerto ricans at one point in that <laughs> orchestra that's like good you know, for them, like, man. pretty good but like, i mean it was like uh, uh we had a our own little posse, but I am absolutely certain that uh, it had to do mostly because because of that a great opportunity to have the screen, and yeah. therefore you had many players that would come that were very young, and some that were a little bit more, shall we say, more experienced. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the array was um, uh, very very varied, so that was one yeah. of the things that uh, made that experience uh, uh, very. Very nice. What year was it that you took that the Met audition? Oh my God, it's a million years ago now. It's uh, 1993. 93, okay. 1993. You were there for about 10 years then, right? Yes, I was there 10 yeah. years, yes. Yeah. Did you win that job like right out of school or, or what? Actually, I, I, went to, uh, I went to Cincinnati College Conservatory and Indiana mm -hmm. University before that, but I actually left school after my freshman year and I, because I had gotten a job with the... Uh, Florida Symphony. So I was principal clarinetist of the Florida Symphony since I was 18. Oh, really? So I was I had three years of experience before I went uh, of playing professionally, I guess, um, before I got the the main job. And oh, wow. that was uh, quite a few interesting years of uh, of keeping my parents, you know, with the faith. Don't worry, this is going to work out. Because they were like, you should just go back to school. <laughs> when you took the Philly audition, was were all of those rounds behind the screen like the Mets? They had uh, the uh, initial rounds, including the first round of finals, is behind the screen. Okay. But they have the what the, what we call here the super finals. Yeah, the super finals, which uh, was uh, not with a screen. Uh, so we went from in in the finals, uh, we had twelve candidates, and then from the twelve, it went down to um, three, and mm -hmm. we played uh, without a screen. And then from there, there were two candidates. But we uh, the the three of us also were asked to come to do a trial in the orchestra oh okay so how many you would you do like a week trial or a couple of weeks yeah it was, uh, it was just a week it was just one week each yeah yes. each yeah i'm guessing that it had to be when the music director was was there also right yeah yes what number were you of those three in in order i was number 12 behind the screen uh -huh. and then um and then i was the first one to be uh to play uh, with uh, with the orchestra, and then uh -huh. the other two candidates came uh, in the fall. I, it was like That's a little a long time to wait. Yeah, I mean, it was because <laughs> I I played at the end of the season, like in, at the end of May, I and see. then that was the last week of the music director, Maestro Savales, and then had to wait until the beginning of the season, mm -hmm. September. So you're sort of like you know waiting and. You know, keeping your shallow breaths. <laughs> yeah, exactly, <laughs> well, you exactly. Wait. You know, that's that. Yeah, that's a long time away. I mean, fortunately, you had, you had a job, so it wasn't like you weren't getting paid. But still, that's just a yeah. long. You got that. You you've constantly got that hanging over you. So yeah. I'm curious though, when you when you're taking an audition, when you get done with something like that, when you're done with your super finals of of Philly, 
A, it's a lot of pressure, right? It's a long day. You're feeling all this weight. There's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of adrenaline going. What do, what do you do in order to kind of help kind of come down from all that? Is there anything that you had specifically that you did or, or just each time was different? For the med, because it was basically immediate. You have, uh, then it feels sort of, a, you are working around sort of surreal. You know? yeah. So it's like, uh, <laughs> so it was a, uh, uh, in a way, a weird, a weird happiness. Like, really? For real? <laughs> it actually happened. Uh, did you, okay. <laughs> did you call the right number? Is that? Is it? Did you really? Yeah, mean yeah, that? yeah. Is that, uh, is this for real? Hey, I need to see it in writing, man. It's like, come on. <laughs> well, it's not. So, it's not real until you've got that contract, right? Yes, yes, yes. So you go through the whole gamut, and you know, at least it's a. You know, it's exhilarating. It's a, it's a good relief. But you know, you, you also, you have like the crash and burn from all that adrenaline. So then, I mean, you feel, you know, uh, like you have gone through a long marathon. And if you're taking a principal audition versus a section audition or second, uh, is there a different type of preparation that that you need to do for that, or is it, is it all kind of the same? No, 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 no. It's absolutely different. It's absolutely different. For sure, because there are certain expectations of a particular position, mm-hmm. sort of stereotypes, whichever way you want to put it. Yeah. And <laughs> some of those things are difficult, mostly not so much in how one prepares, but how one uh, is perceived okay. as a player. Because the human condition, we are all human and everybody has uh, their different preferences. And for example, I, I find that very often there, there are times that orchestras uh, pre, uh, have a particular kind of uh, rep that should be, should be standard, but at the same time, then uh, sometimes it's not conducive to understanding what the position is. There have been many auditions where, like for second clarinet, that then they will have virtually every single expert is a first clarinet excerpt and then you know like for the super finals they may have like two or three little pieces to perform with uh with the principal in an ensemble round if that would be necessary but yeah and even then many times they they just uh, it's not even necessary and then but uh, which is interesting because then when you are playing okay Mm -hmm. uh this is the two things where you have to beware of your audience you know this is one of the things that uh, are what i call what they don't teach you at the julia school about the realities of uh-huh. life right it's like they put all these principal excerpts but what you want to show a musical and artistic understanding okay yeah. artistic understanding but uh if if the position is for second then i don't even know why some committees then they put all of that and then if you show okay you're looking at there you see if it is with, not without the screen without the screen you have a music director etc you want to show off the fact that you can be flamboyant that you have artistic initiative and all those things and then sometimes that could be a little overwhelming for some committee members which is a little bit weird considering that that is what you would expect in uh, from certain kind of music that right. they will put, the human condition comes into play, right? Yeah. And like you said, you, you know, when you have like a second clarinet or, or, or second flute or whatever, whatever the case may be, you're a lot of the list is, are the principal excerpts. Exactly. So you've got to be able to show them that you can that you can play this way, but then also you have to show them that you can play another way as an as an ensemble, right? Correct. Yeah. Correct. When you have a student uh, who is about to prepare for an audition. 
um, what 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 do you what do you guys work on when you're when when you like you know you know that you know that X orchestra is going to have an audition and your student is preparing for it. What are kind of what are some of the the first things that you're working on with them in order to get them prepared? Most important things immediately when I see uh, 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 the thought for preparing for an audition is practicing the basics. Okay, okay? Um, uh, and it's actually simpler and more complicated than people realize why because let's an expert that uh, virtually sing every instrument because it's such a challenging piece like the mendelssohn skirts right so the the, the winds had to deal with the articulation the, the flu for articulation and breath control the uh, strings for their spiccato you know the yeah. bouncy articulation etc so everybody has that challenge but the reality is that the important thing is to uh, develop and be constantly refining your articulation in general. Okay. Meaning that it doesn't matter how many hours you practice the excerpt, if there is an actual uh, deficiency in the technique, you might be able to sort of fake it for you know ten seconds, but you don't. <laughs> but it's ultimately when you are nervous and oh, I shouldn't have that burrito for lunch, oh, and then you have to play, then <laughs> all the all the normal stuff of life happens. Then it's not very reliable. So basically, I'm a firm believer in the boring stuff, you know, the, uh, because I I tell my students the best shortcut is no shortcut. You've got to have a foundation, which is the basics. It is very specific. That's the thing. I mean, like, there's three um, elements. There is the understanding how the music goes, right? So how you will perform it in an ensemble and how that composer's sound is uh, performed mm -hmm. and then how you would do it yeah, in performance. Then in the ensemble, let's say that you are doing the little audition and then there's the audition. So those right. are three different things. I have, in my experience, I have seen that people, many people uh, would, they want somebody who is reliable, okay? Yeah. So then that, then, so it's that, that fine line because you have to be, uh, you know, play the excerpt the way that people expect it plus 5%, plus 10% better. <laughs> plus 10%, but don't, <laughs> but, but don't go, you know, just re, yeah. don't try to remake, uh, you know, remake the wheel because then that, that would be too much, you know what I mean? If you're sitting on, if you're listening to an audition and it's behind a screen, mm -hmm. you know you're you're listening to somebody play, and and there's let's say you're in the, you're in the finals and and you're listening to three people. What's it? What's what do you think is the differentiating factor between one person and another? Is there something that you can point your finger to or or or, or say that that one person does something better than what is that thing that that that? that yes. it, well, to me, that that it factor right is. Um, I mean, uh, is poetry. 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 It's meaning play the piece as if that is the whole world. You know, it's like make it sound that, wow, that excerpt doesn't need the rest of the 80 people. It sounds so great by yeah. itself. <laughs> it's like, yeah, well, wow, so beautiful. Uh, that's why I mean that understanding the, the music of the composer and how you have to play those uh, those finals. Uh, as if you're playing a recital, each piece is a world into itself of color, of inflection, of uh, of emotion, and of sound. I like hearing somebody who has a story. I mean, because it is true that, I mean, uh, for finals, okay, uh, in particular, mm -hmm. in my experience, I've been lucky to be a, a pretty good orchestra, so then by the time that you get into the finals, Everybody plays it well. Yeah, I mean, exactly. there's not. I mean, I haven't had any experience listening to anybody that. Whoa, oh man, they just tripped, and <laughs> oh, I'm so sorry. 
you hear all the stories, and that actually happens much more in earlier rounds. Sure. And then even even when somebody has a little slip in in the final round, it's sort of like okay, you see, uh, you know, Michael Jordan and he misses a free throw. A free it's throw. not like oh, this guy doesn't know how to throw. Right, you know what right, I mean? Right. So it's a, <laughs> at that point, I'm not necessarily looking for a perfect audition in terms of. Uh, in terms of the technique, because we are all uh, imperfect and we're always trying to play uh, well. But the, I look for a, an excellent musical picture. That is really uh, what what uh, is more compelling for for me to hear. Not okay, because everybody has a you know in in the finals uh, they'll have a good sound. Some people say, oh, this one is a little brighter, a little bit darker, uh-huh. a little bit. But it's like uh, it, uh, at the end of the day, is is what you do with the sound. And if you can hear the nuance and the color and the way that people can uh, create the music, then that is where you will be able to see whether uh, there is that musical interest. Ricardo, I wanted to ask you a kind of a technical question. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe it was a video that Bakun produced on YouTube where you were talking about reads and that you were playing... Legere reads, and I don't think it was a super recent video, but I was curious if you're still using synthetic reads and if you advocate them uh, to your students and colleagues, or, or if you, I know a lot of people kind of switch to them, and then there's all, obviously all the positive things that go along with having a read that you can use and use and use, and then they kind of fall off because they miss the certain characteristics of a good cane read. So I just was curious if you were still. Yes. I am back into the the natural world. I uh, I basically am uh, playing cane uh, for the last uh, uh, a few years. But I do uh, you know I do see the uh, I mean the advantage of using something like that, especially for um, in in when there there are times okay where you need to have you know for an emergency. Yeah, it's good to have one there just in case you know it rained and then you forgot to close your case and everything right, got right. away yeah. or crazy or whatever. But uh, you know, it, there are uh, certain times when you can just use, use it for like preparation. Like when I am calling for wood shedding, okay? And I would call it, uh, you know, either with, with one of those or with a read that just vibrates where, where sometimes I just call it a noisemaker. I just want to make noise. I just need to be going through my articulation on my trills and my scales. And I just need something to go. You know, so that kind of thing uh, works. And uh, so, uh, yes, there is uh, there are certain uh, qualities that uh, are uh, undeniable on the uh, on the spectrum of the natural uh, game. So it's basically you're basically as good as you can control it. So uh, in either in either a synthetic world or the cane world, uh, there are certain advantages and disadvantages. You just have to um, know where uh, where your skill set is. Do you suggest that like when you're going to play for, let's say you're going to go take an audition for LA Phil? For one mm-hmm. one audition, or and then another one is going to be for say Cincinnati. I don't know, just throwing out or or Cleveland or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you know, East Coast, West Coast, mm-hmm. maybe up in Colorado or something like that. Do you suggest that somebody go and try to play like that orchestra plays? There's a balance to that way of thinking. Of course, you, one always wants to try to be as uh, musically uh, and technically honest, and yeah. you want to present uh, your uh, musicianship as such. Right, but there there are certain orchestras 
that are very much into holding their particular style or reputation. And therefore there are certain things that are very much uh, in their, in, in their, in what they are looking for, for example, you know, you will say, like, yeah, let's say some uh, place like that, Cleveland Orchestra is a beautiful ensemble. It's very much uh, my colleagues from there. They're just, uh, they hold the ensemble playing, mm-hmm. the ensemble playing as being like the most, uh, like, uh, sacrosanct. It's super sacred. So it's yeah. beautiful. They, they a style of orchestra that plays with a very refined sound. They have a very beautiful hall. You don't have to force the sound there. So it's all about quality of sound and just presenting it in a in an easygoing way. It's not a place that you want to play as loud as possible. You, know, you play a trombone or a trumpet. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's not that kind of uh, place. And there are other orchestras without mids that like a more flamboyant style, you know, that is more like, yeah, in your face. We are great. <laughs> Therefore, you know, uh, a more reserved style would uh, not be with just uh, no, no work. It wouldn't work, yeah. Uh, but so, so then it is where when you have to pre- when one prepares for the audition, you have to have what what I would say is yeah your level of preparation what you have you have to have your bullseye and then be able to uh, as a musician you have to be able to be have that flexibility so if you are going you have to have your your bullseye to be a very, to have the uh, top ten parameters the intonation the rhythm the accuracy all that the clarity of sound the consistency blah 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 but you know if you're going to an orchestra that tends to have a a brighter sound you cannot go with a more a a dollar setup because then they are uh, not so used to it so then it's like uh, even if it's great it's thoroughly like not in their style and therefore uh, sometimes that does make a big difference sure at the same time you cannot make a total generalization like that because uh, and it depends on the position if, if it is a 2d position and you know that's basically how they are doing those things then it is much easier but let's say for a principal position you know and uh, especially if you're going to a place that has had a very a famous player or uh, they have a tradition like uh, of a particular style it's more iffy because sometimes uh, the people would have, they would be happy to have somebody who sounds like their previous principal. Right. And some people right. like, oh, they use uh, the mantra of, oh, tradition. So they want to get somebody like that. And therefore, some, you know, some second generation or third generation student of that person or that yeah. style just goes. Or sometimes it's like, this is, we have been so lucky to have somebody who's really great and done a great, and we had done the stamp. And now the orchestra is ready to go in a different, different direction. Different direction, sure. Yeah. It depends on the place. I remember uh, one of the excerpts that I played when I uh, one, uh, that I played in an audition that I was lucky to win. I, I was like, ah, to me, it seemed a little a little harder than I would would have wanted. It was a capricho español, yeah. Okay. So they, ah, yeah. you know, the trills and the sagados, sure. forties, well, yeah. And, and in the empty hall, it seemed, I, it felt like I was hearing the the cement of the of the <laughs> of the of the of the hall coming back. I was like. Ah, a little too. Uh, yeah. I didn't like that. But you know, later on, talking to uh, uh, with the music director, uh, congratulations. Uh, you know, uh, uh, so and I was like, well, uh, he said, but you know, but that capricho, you know, you can just. Uh, this is a orchestra for that. So let it rip next time. You you can play louder. I was like, really? Oh, nice. <laughs> <laughs> so, so so you see, so sometimes. Yeah. 
our concept, our concept is like uh, is a little bit different than we think. What, what we think that it might be a little too much out there. Sometimes it's like, yeah, you, yeah. you can definitely go more. Well, no, I wanted to just kind of touch on that a little bit because, like, you were talking about, um, you know, you you just you, you, in in your audition, you played Capriccio Espanol, and you did a little bit too much. So, what did you do when you when you think about that? Um, and then you got to, and all of a sudden you got to shift to your next excerpt. And it got, I kind of wanted wanted to touch on because, you know, I hear a lot of times like you know, uh, neural symphony fellows uh, come back from an audition or or anybody talking about an audition that they didn't they did in advance. I was like, oh, well, it was because I, I I messed up this one thing. But a lot of times, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think a lot of times it isn't about what you messed up, but it's about a how you recover and b maybe it was maybe it was just something something else. That is very true. I mean. The recovering is really the most important thing. I like uh, going to analogies of boxing, basically like for auditions and for performance, because I always think like in boxing and in music, there's a fine line between kicking butt and getting your butt kicked, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's a very fine line, very fine line. I remember there's a very very famous quote from a very famous uh, uh, boxing trainer, Cos D'Amato, who everybody's got a plan. Until they get hit. Until they get hit. I know that quote very <laughs> yeah. well. Yep. The plan, you have to have the plan. Once you break your nose, and, oh, you can barely see your bling. Okay, that's when you have to be calm. And that's where you have, then that's when you have to be the most collected. Yeah. Okay? Not like freak out. Oh, I'm bleeding. Yeah. <laughs> your, it's done, right? The same thing with music. It's like, okay, uh, I played, I slipped, this, this little thing came out. There are certain things that, are very interesting because, um, you know, I, I can say for my colleagues in the Philadelphia Orchestra there, I, I'm very impressed with their generosity and I'm very happy about that, that they want to hear people do well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And the thing that sometimes we freak out and we're always thinking that people there, they're like in a bad mood, they're just there to judge us and to go and, uh, just punish us or whatever. Yeah. But it's like, it's the opposite. It's like some people, they just, when you're getting in a committee, you're really hoping to find your next colleague sure. and, and all that. So there's that excitement. And I mean, it's uh, nerve wracking sometimes, but you want that. And there have been instances when some, uh, some of the auditionees have had a little bit of a uh, rough spot. And then it's like, oh my God. And then they start uh, actually, you know, it, it goes the avalanche down. It's like it goes down, and then we've had instances where they're playing, and then you hear the steps, and they just run out. Mm-hmm. I said, like, "Oh!" <laughs> and we and, and but that we have had the committee uh, chair just uh, check, and then to request, uh, fine, let them uh, to try to come back again, let them compose themselves, and try to try it again. Yeah. The most important thing that I can say, and the most honest thing, is that. Considering how people listen, and with all the respect for my colleagues, it's like, uh, that I have is sometimes a miracle. Any of us gets hired because everybody has. Sometimes you hear somebody, ah, oh, this was good, but it's a little. I mean, like for example, when I when I won the Met uh, Orchestra, one of my colleagues uh, was later a few years uh, after that. We were joking around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you play great, but you know, frankly, I I thought he's pretty good, but I don't know. Maybe the sound is a little too dark. I'm not sure. Maybe that would be a little problem and then another colleague of mine told me yeah i thought you played so great but eh, maybe a little too bright <laughs> so, he's like, oh. right. so you know yeah, yeah. so sometimes it's like the, the what the kind of impression that you're giving 
it's like sometimes you cannot really really sure. tell yeah, what, yeah. what's going on. And every, everybody's got their own opinion about how they want to hear something, or, or that's why you have a you know a number you know, seven nine whatever the number is of of people on a committee right. voting for somebody to advance. But you know, I'm curious though, what do you think about like how do you train in order to recover when you're on stage? You know, you know what I mean? Like you you can you can practice all the notes, you can practice all the phrasing, you can practice the dynamics and all the coloring. Is Can you practice a way to recover from a misstep when you're in an audition? Yes, I think that is uh, one of the things that we uh, have to really practice at home, but that goes for performance also. It is like once we have, the, it goes to the, uh, like the semi-final or final stage of preparation, I would say, mm -hmm. where you have to be able to just get your list and then you get li little flashcards and you put, can put them in different orders and then you just have to get used to, you start, you go. The, whatever is left, you, know, you just keep going. Yeah, okay. okay. So it is something that, it requires a little bit of that discipline which goes from the way that we practice because if we are always practicing and just stopping every single time that we mess something up, right. then we we are practicing stopping and not recovering. Yeah, no, that's that's the, actually really good advice, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, I never thought of it like that. That's really kind of an interesting take on it because I always stop. Yeah, yeah me too. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, 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 you have to. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, but yeah, look, there have been some times, so going back to this Capricho Espanol, for example, right, oh, yeah. that I hear so many uh, students and colleagues complain, oh, man, sometimes I have to do two drills, and then the, some people do the mordants, or some people do a combination or whatever. And I've uh, heard uh, several auditions, and including here, and it's like when you're in an empty hall, I mean, and I know this actor, I've been practicing for a million years, and I keep playing, and sometimes I'm listening, it's like, it's hard to tell in an empty hall whether they did three trills or two trills, yeah. or the mordant. I mean, it's like, because of the, all the echoes, <laughs> okay, but you can tell whether they're in control, whether it's steady, whether they can, uh, you know, have a, a pleasant sound. I mean, like, that kind of exercise is a tricky one because it's fortissimo with articulation. Yeah. And so that, yet you have to know what people are listening for, right? In my opinion, to me, it's important to have great control of the articulation and the slurs at a, at a loud dynamic. So you're, you know, maintaining a high quality of sound while you're playing at your loudest dynamics, you know, yeah. and then combine that with the nurse to actually be able to hold on to control your trills yeah. and, and things like that. So that is that is one of those uh, things. But that, that thing, if sometimes we will be like, oh, I did one trill, I did more than instead of two trills. And it's not what we have planned. It may have been not what we have planned, but it makes very, very li little difference to a community that you have the, the, the people listening from, uh, you know, 20 or 25 rows away from you. That excerpt though is like, you know, that's that's one that you like you said, you can really kind of just go balls to the wall on it. You know, you can you can really kind of uh -huh. you know wail on it and do it like great. But then there are other excerpts that need to be softer, need to be more refined, need to be more lyrical. Right. So when you're when you're going from being, you know, playing Capricho Espanol where it's very loud and things like that, and then all of a sudden you've got to play Yeah, Pines of Rome. Yeah, yeah but I yeah, do yeah. that on purpose. You know, when you're practicing yeah, that is something that uh, people will do, and people do that, especially to uh, to our colleague bassoonists. You know, they'll play, make them play "Ride of Spring." Uh, great. Uh, can you do that and bolero? Ah, okay. Now, uh, track six. <laughs> Start very oh, low right. and quiet. Yeah, the opening. Oh. Yeah. So, but because the thing is that that's how it is, and that's how you basically 
have to prepare. You play, yeah. Once you have your list, you play something, uh, you know, Capricci Espanol, Pines of Rome, you know, Mendelssohn's Kurzo, uh, Brahms, uh, Brahms, uh, Symphony. It's like little going back and forth, back and forth to uh, expand on on the flexibility and on the expectation. And always, you know, you have to uh, have the plan that you have, right, at the at, of what you would say would be your ideal tempo for hearing the excerpt. And then you have to be able to do it, you know, uh, up to 20, 20%, 25% faster, just in case the committee wants right. to hear it faster, and to be able to play slower and still with the with the good dynamics. If there's an excerpt that is all about playing soft, then for sure give yourself play it at eighty five percent. So then you know, so or eighty ninety percent. So then you have ten percent wiggle room to play a little softer. You know, so there's certain excerpts that yeah, that, that Mendelssohn's curve. So if you play it very well, but it's a little slow, but it's well uh, performed well, then they can ask you to play it faster to see whether you have that. But if you go fast and it's sloppy, uh, yeah, that, yeah. So so yeah, you have to be able to be flexible. With 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 uh, with your excerpts and and be able to do what what if they're asking you to do it again, have the ability to do it the way that they're that the committee is asking you to do it. Right. You have to look forward to being able to do it in, in different ways. I wanted to ask about the concerto. Do you usually get down to three or four candidates for a final round? Yes. Yes. Would you say that more often than not, the concerto elevates someone into winning or eliminates three into not winning the audition does that make any sense yes and in the finals you expect everybody's gonna play very well so do you want that is one of the uh, 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 pieces where you get much more room to show your staff yeah. especially in the finals yeah you don't have to be worried so much about putting everything in its little tidy no place. and actually as a, no as a matter of fact it depends on the on the instrument since we are you know a lot of the wins we're basically doing mostly mozart which is classical sound beautiful perfect refinement core sound and, and control it's a little different that like uh you know you have like viola and then you have the barter concerto yes you want somebody who lets it rip and then can play the bruckner ah oh, nice and round yeah, and right. beautiful and control and uh, therefore that's why that that particularity of on the concert, especially in the clarinet, you want to, you have to have that balance where it has to have levity and beauty. I, for example, uh, I I find it that for auditions, uh, that concerto works very well on what I would call a happy tempo. A happy okay. tempo. You're talking about the uh, the Mozart. The Mozart clarinet concerto. Yes. yes. Uh, for like auditions and stuff like that, for for sure is. It works out much better if it's a brisk, happy, but easygoing tempo. Whereas when I perform, I've recorded it and I've uh, performed many times, and I find that uh, Mozart, especially A major uh, pieces of his, are transitionary keys that is very much like they are in a happy key, but they are full of nostalgia and sadness. So that's why the dichotomy of, of that kind of a great composer. As Schubert does the same thing, many songs that are in major keys are like so depressing. <laughs> but it's like and you have to know uh, you have to understand that yeah so for a performance yes i definitely uh i i go probably about 10 notches 
slower on a, on a, on a concerto like Mozart, uh, because, you know, I like to use the passive clarinet and you have to, yeah, you want to use some, uh, some of the things that then in the brisker in the performance, then you can use it to be more expansive and more like that. But in a, in, in an audition situation, you have seven minutes to make them go like, wow, that's amazing. And uh, yeah, this person, I want this person for the next uh, 20 years. <laughs> you know, you can't, you can't really screw up a concerto and expect to pass uh, the round can you i mean I, I would imagine that you know because that's your concerto you're bringing that to them as kind of like here here's what i can do and then but then again i mean it's like yeah uh we have to define what is screwing up yeah. you know what i mean I, I, obviously if we are playing and and then we a note doesn't speak or just we have a little ghost note here that that's not what i would call really even a bad mistake. I'm talking about, you know, okay, you have a memory slip and then you forget the, <laughs> what are the next eight measures? Like, oh, okay. Right, so, yeah, yeah. All right. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you have a moment of freak out. Oh, my music fell down and I don't know it. And, ah, yeah, to stop. That that would be like uh, one kind of a disaster thing. I, I actually, I have noticed for some of my students and for some of my colleagues that the higher, this sounds a little harsh, but the reality is the higher level the orchestra, the less judgmental they are. I agree actually 100% with you. I did notice that a lot of the, a lot of the orchestras that are maybe kind of like ROPA level orchestras and things like that, when they have an audition, they are really critical. Yes. Because they are really wanting to uh, make sure that artistically things get uh, to be uh, as high as they can make it. And then it's much easier to uh, be, you know, a critic than to be a contributor, right? And we can get too hypercritical because we, and the thing is that we have to be hypercritical mostly, super mostly when we're preparing. When we are listening, we have to have a little bit of the humility and humanity that, and remember that we were there once, yeah. okay, and that you would want somebody to give you the benefit of the doubt. Those are some of the things that people do, unfortunately, forget. Yeah. Which I have, I can say, I'm very happy to see my colleagues are not like that. That's great to hear. You know, and I think it's good for for the people listening to to hear that as well. Like, it isn't all about like if you if you have you know, your E string doesn't ring and an open E string or something like that, which, you know, it happens mm-hmm. all the time mm-hmm. or, or, or whatever the case may mm-hmm. be. It's not the end of the world. And again, it's about that recovery too, because when you're playing in an audition and that happens, you have to learn how to recover because probably the people that are behind the screen listening to it will, they, they, they get it. They understand. They know what happened. And also, you know, there are certain people that they have the it sound yeah. i would say you know it's like some people just go in there and they play even if it's not perfect there's certain qualities in the sound that's like oh, beautiful yeah. so it's like <laughs> certain kinds of players have an attractive uh, kind of sound that are always advanced and then vice versa there are times that people will, i don't understand they make any any mistake you know and some uh, and there's two elements that i would like to share about that number one yes sometimes you can play very well, but if there's something about the sound that is like uh, it's too dull or too bright or too fuzzy or they're too close or it's like mm-hmm. or they're too far and it sounds too small, sometimes that gets to affect. I also, when I say that, so, uh, that I have noticed it, that has happened in the past, where we really have no control about what happens because sometimes it depends on when you play. That yeah. is just an element of luck. Yep. I mean, like you have to have the only thing you control in an audition. There's only one thing you can control in an audition, which is how many hours and how well you practice back home. Yeah. 
how much work you did. Right. I have uh, been in communities where there will be a batch of uh, players that all five had good qualities and everybody was made mistakes or and everybody was like, eh. but uh, after discussing everybody oh, it's okay everybody got advanced <laughs> to the next round you know despite the fact that each of them uh, had uh, enough of uh, you know none of them would be perfect and then you know on a, that same audition you know a few hours later everybody played so great a thousand times better than the, the first uh, five candidates that played and then only one person passes and one thing i can tell you is that um i don't have the it factor uh so <laughs> but <laughs> But I know that you do, and I know you're very busy, and I don't want to take up um, any more of your time because I think we could we could probably talk for another hour, honestly. So I want to I want to I want to put a pin in this, and I want to have you come back. I do want to thank you for for really for taking the time to to be here and talking about this because it is su- I mean it is such a pleasure to have you have you on on the on the show to get your you know your thoughts on such an important thing. There's so many. So many people taking auditions, and honestly, like with this pandemic and it coming hopefully to an end, auditions are going to be starting back up again pretty soon. So yes, I would just the last suggestion I would tell people to consider is you know do the preparation, and then you have to go sort of like New York's lottery motto, which is hey, you never know. (laughs) (laughs) You have to go. You have to just go, man. Yeah, exactly. Because you never know, really. Indeed. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks to everyone listening and subscribing. Keep uh, keep listening. Keep sending in your, your emails to Matt. He, he's, uh, his email inbox is getting so full. You know it's not. We'll see you soon. All right, thanks, Ricardo. 